48-hour art check. Best of podcast. We go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday on YouTube. 9 p.m. California time, and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later. You can always check things out at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. We take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast. Today's topic is um, curation. And so what, why this kind of came up was we were all kind of talking before recording um, about how there used to be a, a lot more gatekeeping um, in comics and in art in general and kind of um, with the, the immersion of our society with the internet, um, there, there's less and less curation. So there are pluses and minuses that come from that. Um, and and so we were going to kind of talk about that, like the, the sort of death of gatekeeping and uh, the death of curation and then whether whether those things should die, whether they have value, whether they have place, and, and kind of get into that. So And, and, and then, I'm of course, actually... we're going to try to stick to a tight uh, 15 because uh, <laughs> we don't want Corey to get more sick. So, <laughs> um, I would actually argue that, um, gatekeeping has returned, um, but it's returned without curation. And so if, if you look at the history of it, you used to have gatekeepers and it would, whoever, whoever had an audience or had power, you know? Um, and so th- those would be people who were on TV. They'd be people who controlled the, the newspapers or whatever. Um, and then you had, uh, you had like kind of in between the internet coming out and what people started to call web 2.0 things were still very curated because it was still very difficult to create something. So something like threadless um, still was, it was technically web 2.0 because it was user generated, but it was very a curated situation. Um, and then I feel like there was kind of this free for all where social media came out and all of the social media channels had um, like a natural, timeline that that was uh there wasn't it wasn't algorithmically based um they they weren't punishing um people who didn't pay for ads they weren't they weren't uh you know trying to to push the popular people who were already popular um so there was this period of time where i think both gatekeeping and curation was kind of dead um but i feel like now gatekeeping has returned in that we have algorithmic uh, timelines uh, on on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and like I can't reach the people who have decided to follow me on these things uh, w- without the algorithm gatekeeper. But I believe that that gatekeeper has showed up without any curation. And so if you look at people, uh, if you go through art, whether it be illustration or animation or writing or whatever, um, there's still just a mass of it out there. And it's just a giant glut uh, with nothing necessarily rising to the top based on quality, um, yeah. but things rising to the top based on uh, influence and, and what you can, what you can trade uh, in, in eyeballs. And so it's kind yeah. of, a, it's kind of a different game nowadays. And, and I miss I don't miss the gatekeepers. I hate gatekeepers, but I do miss the curation. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Scott, you, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, not how it relates as far as like social media, but I was I was thinking more um, 
like the pros and cons to it, like especially like at comic conventions. Yeah. Like I, and and I'm not I'm not totally one way or the other, but I I think in certain cases there should be both. Like I think there should be comic conventions where maybe, and I don't know if this is necessarily a curation things, but something where they're more prone to have people who are creating original ideas instead of just fan art things. Not that I, you know, I still think there's a need for that, you know, the, the fan art, but I think, I think in certain cases there should be, you know, Oh, this, this person is, you know, creating original ideas and, and they, or their own comics and things like that. Yeah. Um, so there's certain cases like that, the other, you know, then, but there's the other side of the coin. And I think we touched on this on the art casters the other day, but like with the hundred days of making comics anthology that we're all working on right now, yeah. there isn't a, there isn't a curation as far as the quality or how long you've been doing it for or anything like that, which I like, that's what I like about that particular challenge because yeah. it gives people that are maybe just starting off um, the opportunity to be right there, work right there along with some people that are maybe working professionals have done it or, you know, for a while um, yeah. and maybe learn from them or just be, be, you know, right up there with them. And I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, the, and, but there is some curation to that. And the, that only, the only curation to that is that you can actually produce work. And I think that's important too. So I don't think it always has to be, you know, your skill level or whatever. Although there's certain places that, you know, it's, it's, I remember, I remember <laughs> like, I used to do, um, this is way before cosplayer and everything like that, but, but, uh, my parents would make these costumes and we'd go to costume contests and, and the, it's, it wasn't always, they weren't always judged on like quality. Like if you had like a, a really cute kid or with a cute little outfit and that could be something they would have just bought at the store, but, but the, you know, this cute, cute little kid. And then you're next to maybe something that's like a, a monster costume. Yeah. And, but there's a lot that goes into it. That cute little kid w could win easily just because of, of what, you know, that they, they, you know, they bought a store at a costume and they happen to look cute and that certain things like that. So certain things I think, I think should be judged by professionals. Um, also like professional, there's, there's all those situations where sometimes it's a popularity contest as opposed to merit based. Yeah. That I don't really like at all. Like a lot of the, you know, some of these like either like not game shows, but like reality shows or whatever. Um, it's not always based on, on you know, the talent or whatever. It's, sometimes it's more of a popularity contest, which I'm not real crazy about. Yeah. So I'm kind. Of, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but no. I think in certain situations, I like the fact that that you know, some professional, somebody that's, that, that, you know, that is experienced and that, that kind of knows whatever industry it is, is sort of voting on that. But like, it's almost like if you look at like the, the, <laughs> the kids choice awards versus say maybe something like the Oscar. Yeah. Um, like I remember I went to, it was the Nickelodeon awards. I went there with a friend of mine who was up for one of the awards for, for a voiceover thing. And, um, and you know he didn't win but the one that won was was it just so happened to be a show that was on nickelodeon as opposed <laughs> to another network <laughs> different things like different like things like that 
So, you know, and it, that, that, those type of things are total popularity things. But, you know, they're for kids, so I can sort of understand that. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I, I just think, I think there should be, you know, I think there should kind of be both, you know, yeah. and I can see the pluses and minuses of both, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like for me, I, I chime, I, I resonate a lot with what, what you were talking about, Corey, because I feel like um, when I got in on Threadless, it was like at this sweet spot where the gatekeeping and the curation and then crowdsourcing, there was like a pure moment. It's weird, yeah. but it was like maybe a couple of years where literally everybody voting on it was a member of that community yeah, and were the people who bought those shirts. And then, you know, of course you get friends and stuff to vote, but nobody was gaming the system um, heavily. There was a bit of a game to it, but it wasn't like heavily gamed and it, and it wasn't easy to manipulate. So what got printed was always stuff that actually got bought. And I think that's why during those years, they had such a surge in sales and why those those shirts that were printed back then are like still the best sellers today yeah. on that site. Um, what's interesting is this thing happened and I witnessed it and it was with the inception of like Facebook and other social media platforms where you could like mobilize and you could really game Threadless by manipulating through those social media platforms that that kind of seemed to me to kind of get involved in Threadless and then you started having it be more of a popularity contest rather than a quality contest um, and and rather than being a bunch of geeks who liked t-shirts saying which one they wanted to buy and then proceeding to buy it instead it became a bunch of outsiders from, from outside of the community coming in and saying I'll buy that and then not buying it Right. you know what I mean but it got printed and so I think that's part of why that model is kind of the, the more successful stuff on it now is switched to like print on demand. And um, I, I think that happened. I think that happens everywhere. I think that's happened on YouTube. I think there are a lot of channels that kind of grew from nothing and exploded and got like tons of subscribers and like got it based on their content. Yeah. And I think now a lot of the YouTube game is, is similar. I do think like producing quality never dies but it's just like i i do um personally kind of think there's some value to you know um a, a game where value where, where where content is valued and where quality is valued um so what i'd say for like gatekeeping is um gatekeeping is annoying but um when gatekeeping is tied to curation there's a benefit, and I think the best example of that is like the media, where you have, you know, now we have this situation with news where people are unable to tell what is actual news, like what's true, what's factual, and what's not. And the line is blurring so much that like, like some legitimate news organizations that had a lot of funding for like really um, intensive research and checks and balances on what they were going to report before reporting it. They're getting kind of squished out of the industry for clickbait and yeah. clickbait has kind of become the news. And then the news organizations that were decent news organizations have had to kind of follow suit to keep the advertisers. And, and not that it's ever been pure, 
but it's becoming less and less easy to tell um, what's real and what's not. And I think a lot of that has to do with curation. Whereas now the kind of modern form of curation is like what you have with like something like Huffington Post, where it's an algorithm that's kind of reposting what's trending. Right. And and so, um, and and I'd say the same with criticism. Um, criticism is facing that a lot too, especially art criticism, where it's like, you know, you used to have critics who would kind of earn their right to like write criticism of comics or of other things. And whether you liked critics at that time or not, most of them were like extremely aware of the industry they were criticizing and extremely aware of like the art of storytelling and the way that comics are crafted or that books are crafted or that movies are made. Um, whereas now that the curation's gone, it's like you kind of have a situation where anybody can be a critic and be taken seriously if they get enough of a reaction, if they get a click. And so I, I do feel like that's very similar with art too, where it's like, you know, if you can get enough clicks, if you can get enough likes, you know, um, you you can be an artist and stuff. I don't think it's I don't think it's that different than how it's been. I just think it's so much easier for things to kind of fall out without it. So it's like it's this weird situation where the plus side is we're in a situation where like a lot of eyeballs can get to anybody and you don't have to be like a guy on Marvel Comics. You don't have to have won some award. You you know, the laurels don't matter. Um, so we're in a situation where content can can be put out there freely and you don't have to like be um, an official critic to say whether you liked a movie or not or, or to even have an effect on the company producing those films. So that's a benefit. But that can also be a negative. It's a, it's a weird thing. And I'm not sure where I rest on it, but I do think it's somewhere <laughs> with what, you know, uh, Scott and Corey, like both of you were saying, which is that, you know, I do think there's some value and I do think it seems like there's a need right now for, for some kind of curation to come back. Um, and, and, and not, not for that to be a curation of, you, you know, from people just kind of trying to kind of protect their throne, but um, like a curation that's more just based on like, this is quality. We should pay attention to it. You know? and, 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 you know, part of the problem is that the uh, the motivations uh, to do that are are they've moved, and so if you look at like I went to a conference four years ago um, that was uh, for newspapers, right? Because I, I teach communication in college, and so I was at this newspaper conference, and the entire conference they were talking about how um, native advertising is going to save the industry. And native advertising is a really interesting thing because what it is, is they are advertisements that are intentionally trying to look exactly like whatever they're being delivered in. And so, for example, in a newspaper, a native ad would look exactly like an article. And it would be very difficult for most people to tell that Ford, um, you know, paid for that article to be written because yeah. it's written by journalists. Um, and it might say somewhere that it was sponsored by Ford, um, but it is written in a journalistic style and it belongs. It, it doesn't it doesn't 
it's not necessarily demarcated as, as an ad. Um, and, and then in addition to that, you have, and that's what everybody, I mean, cause there used to be a very clear, um, separation between the ad department and the sales department and the, and the journalism department. But what happened is everything started dying. And so this all started kind of in the, in the, the late eighties, early nineties when, when cable came out and that fractured kind of the television news industry, um, into a bunch of different things. And then you had 24 hour news cycles rather than, uh, you know, rather than just the news at six and the news at 11 and the news at five in the morning. And, part of the, I think part of the main problem, whether you're talking about art or whether you're talking about social media or whether you're talking about news, um, or, or journalism or whatever <clears throat> is everyone right now in any game is looking for short term results. And, yeah. and the problem with short term results is you end up, it's the snake eating its own tail, right? Yeah. Um, you, what, what's happening is you have journalists that are doing things, um, to survive that is really bad journalism. It's just, it's just poor quality journalism. You have artists that are doing things for the quick views and the quick buck that is really bad uh, practices from a creative standpoint. So for example, fan art's fine and it's fun. And I've done my, I've done my fair share of fan art. It's entertaining. Right. But Mm -hmm. the, the real long-term artistic goal in an illustration and storytelling standpoint is to own the intellectual property yourself. And if I own the intellectual property, then intellect that IP takes off, um, you know, then that's a sustainable, renewable, um, source of income, right. That I can never get from fan art because I don't own the IP. Right. But the downside to doing good journalism, producing good content on YouTube or social media, or, uh, you know, doing my own intellectual property is that it's a long game with very few short-term results, Yeah, you know? And so the challenge in any industry that we have today with, uh, you know, curation of quality content is that it flies in the face of this, uh, this instant gratification immediacy, um, that, exactly. that the culture is demanding right now and, and businesses and artists and writers, um, and people on YouTube are living and dying, um, based on whether they are going for short term or long term, uh, results. And, and the sad thing about going for the short term is that it works, but it's short term. Yeah, cool. agreed. And, um, you know, I, I guess we're, we're kind of close to to, I think tying this up, but, uh, but to me, one of the concerns is like, you know, how are you going to have a Seymour Hirsch in this day and age, like exposing, you know, like the horrors of what were going on, really going on in Vietnam, because right. that kind of journalism, if you look back into it, required a lot of money, yeah. um, invested into it where a journalist would find leads and then they'd chase those leads. And sometimes those leads would go cold. And, you know, the, the news organizations at the time would bank on those things, understanding that one of those leads would lead to, to truth. And that, like, you know, by exposing truth, like you're going to get, uh, you know, important journalism and you're going to kind of inform the public to an extent that you can't with like short term, you know, news bites. But now what's disturbing that you were mentioning with journalism is now we're kind of in a situation where it's the, the doctor selling you cigarettes, you know, right. um, right. it's put on a lab coat. They won't know any different. And it's, it's kind of that 
um, guised as, as like newspaper articles. And similarly, I'd say we're in a very similar situation with art where I think a lot of the time it's, it's kind of an emperor's new clothes situation. And by the time people realize the emperor has no clothes, you know, the, the person who posted that got a million likes and, and, you know, meanwhile, there's people out there to like really making um, very important art that's just going unnoticed because everybody's distracted by the new thing. That being said, um, Wesley in the chat said, uh, I think there can be lots of skill in a piece of art, but if it's not appealing to the eye, it's definitely not going to be as popular. And I agree with that too. Um, uh, you know, I used to say that to my students like that. Um, I, I, I could uh, go into a gallery and see a, a perfect, beautiful rendering of a duck. And I'm not going to walk out of that gallery knowing that artist's name. But if I go into a gallery and I see like Marcel Duchamp's uh, toilet, you know, signed R. Mutt, I'm going to find out who did that. It's weird. It's got a concept to it. And to me, I'd, I'll take the concept over like the quality any day. Um, so I kind of agree with that idea. The, uh, um, Sticky Art Channel said, I've put hours into a video that got 100 views and others that take 30 minutes that gets thousands of views. The YouTube algorithms broke. And I, th I think we could all relate to that. I think most of us, are, our most popular videos probably aren't necessarily our favorite videos. <laughs> um, yeah. And probably with our art too, right? Like I, I think, um, you know, it can be very frustrating as an artist to do like a sketch of Batman and post that online. And that gets way more response than like the thing you've spent like 10 years on, you know? Yeah. It's also, I mean, I don't, it, it's also sometimes just what people like. I mean, exactly. it's, um, and I guess that's sort of what the algorithm is based on, but I was listening to a podcast um, and they were interviewing a lettering artist who said, uh, you know, she did this, this really impressive, you know, fully produced video of her doing this, this lettering project and all the hours and the time lapse that went into it. Um, and she said it did all right. But then one day she was just out at the beach and she did wrote her name or something in the sand and it got like three, three or four times as many likes. So, you know, who knows? I mean, it's just some, sometimes things that, that people react to aren't necessarily the things that take a long time to do. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I know that when I post things like certain certain things, it's like, you know, I'm, I'll put a lot of time in this mainly because I want something that looks nice, but it may, you know, might not do very well. There's a lot, uh, a lot of the videos that I that I do, like the one I was just working on, um, the the like the Mad Genius Hall of Fame that I'm going to post. Those don't get anywhere near as much views as ones where I'm actually giving advice or whatever. Because I mean, I think part of it's like kind of not that. It, not not that the, my audience is just like what's in it for me, but but people react more like, oh, I, I'm I'm kind of I, what can I get out of this, you know? Yeah. And some people some people watch because they they just like the drawing or whatever, and that's cool too. But the majority of people, and and you know that's why a lot of you know for me too when I'm watching YouTube, I mean there's there's certain people I follow and I follow them because they produce cool artwork and I yeah. like what they have to say, but there's certain other things that I just like, Oh, I need to know how to do this or I need to know what that is. Um, yeah. Like and, an example would be, we were just talking about like you and I were actually just talking about this. I didn't know how to change my car battery in the specific model of Honda that I have because they have this weird thing on it. It's different than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so I just looked up a YouTube tutorial. Did I subscribe to that guy? Did I like go and go, okay, what other like car prep? For all I know, that guy might be making 
custom cars that are amazing. And yet I guarantee I'm one of the reasons that that guy's main video is just utilitarian. Yeah. Like it served a purpose for me. So yeah. I can see that too. Um, I would say like, you know, just kind of tying this all up and then, and then Corey, I think you have something to say too, but, um, it, it seems like to me where we can go as artists who are kind of looking for that sweet spot where, you know, um, curation and gatekeeping are kind of tied in together and maybe the gatekeeping is a little lower. So it's a little freer for everybody to get through. Um, I, I think if we're looking for that, um, generally what we should be doing is putting out good content because then we can create that sweet spot because even if the algorithm just kind of lucks out on that thing, at least then you're locked into making something good instead of a cigarette ad with a doctor coat on and just kind of wondering, am I, am I scamming people right now? You know? Um, so yeah, I mean, that would be what I take away from it. Um, Corey, you got, you got something. I I think, I think, uh, as always, I think balance is really important. And so for example, with Scott's, uh, mad geniuses thing, um, that has the potential to be a series that in the long run, you know, becomes an awesome, uh, book that gets kickstarted, you know, or, or something, but in the short term might not have, have much. Um, but then if you only play the long game, like one of, one of my favorite podcasters, um, is, uh, oh man, I'm sick and my brain's foggy. Uh, he does hand lettering and Sean West, right? Um, Sean mm-hmm. McCabe. He, he famously, uh, you know, touted the long game over and over and over again. Um, and then, and then in the last year or so, he's come out and said, you know, like to his detriment, uh, he didn't, sh- he didn't focus on short term and had to let people in his company go, you know, and, and, uh, went through, I mean, he's going through horrible things right now. Um, yeah. and it's because it's because he had a hyper focus on, on the long term without a balance. And I think yeah. if you only do short term, um, it's going to be empty calories, right? You're going to, you're going to get that buzz from eating that sugar. Uh, and then you're going to crash, you know, you're going to get those initial hits, but then nobody's going to know who you are and no one's going to stick around. Um, or they're going to stick around, but you don't own any of the IP. And so it doesn't matter. Right. But if you only do the long-term stuff, um, then you're never going to get those, those, that little boost, that little bump, that little whatever. And, uh, and no one's going to know and and your long-term stuff won't get anything. And so the thing that I've seen, and it's kind of my game plan that works really well. Um, you look at like somebody like Bill Murray, or you look at somebody like, uh, uh, Sean Gordon Murphy or whatever. And what they will do is they will do a book for them and then they'll do a book for the masses. And, and so, you know, like Sean Gordon Murphy, um, he's, he's been on ink pulp audio, which is Sean crystals, um, interview kind of podcast thing. And he said that his plan is that he gains an audience, uh, by doing kind of the fan art type of stuff. And so he's done Batman white Knight, which is a phenomenal book. Um, but then, you know, before that he did, you know, punk rock Jesus. Right. And so he'll gain an audience with, 
Um, he'll build an audience with the stuff that everybody's used to, but then he yeah. retains his audience with the stuff that he's making for himself or he, own, he owns the intellectual property. And so I think going back and forth and having kind of a balance is a good strategy because it gives you the eyeballs that you need in the short term, but it gives you the longevity that you need to, to stick around in the long term. Um, nice. How much of that balance is, is a really hard thing to, to choose, but I mean, that's... That's why I do the occasional fan art piece. That's why I do the occasional whatever is because, um, you know, it's fun. And and somebody might look at that. Most people are going to go, cool, Princess Leia, that's great. And then they move on. But every so often they go, oh, wow, I like that guy's style. That Princess Leia is awesome. They came for the Princess Leia. They stick around for the weird intellectual stickers about nothing. And so, you know, and you kind of, you kind of, you kind of hook people through some of that stuff, whereas otherwise you wouldn't. Um, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that's cool. So I, I think the the gist then of what we're saying is like, you know, it, it's, it's not bad to have hits. Just don't be that person. You know, we all had that experience pre MP3s where you buy an album because the single's great and the whole album is crap. Yeah. And it's one good song. And that, that may like lead to like, you know, doing bad Vegas shows where like a bunch of people show up and sing along to that one song. Yeah. But wouldn't it be better to be the band that has, you know, multiple hits, but also a bunch of beautiful content that everyone can connect to, to kind of bring them along on the whole journey. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's great. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks everybody in the chats. Uh, It's awesome. And we do this every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 9 PM California time. Scott joins us typically on Mondays where we go a little bit longer. Uh, We'd love to have you stick around. You're on my channel right now. So if you haven't already, uh, hit that bell to get notified on when we go live. Um, You can subscribe um, and you can see my stuff at CoreyKerr.com. This is also a podcast and uh, you can just search 48 Hour Art Check on anywhere that you get your podcasts. And uh, we'd love positive reviews on that. If you want to check out Scott Circlin's work, go to circworks.com. He's got um, an awesome starter pack for comics. If you're looking to do comics and like save yourself some time and learn some things, you can sign up for his newsletter and get that starter pack for free. And as always, you can check out Joshua Kemble's stuff at quarterlystories.com. Um, Quarterly Stories is a is a comic about faith and mental illness, and it's it's fantastic. And he's about to wrap uh, volume one of that, and so you guys should check that out as well. And if you've got a moment, get on tapas.io or download the Tapas app and search for Quarterly Stories, and you can subscribe there. And that's a free way that doesn't cost you any money that you can help him out because those numbers are are really beneficial. We will see you guys in a couple days. We are out. Bye.